Good morning. Good to see you all here today. My name is Neil. I'm one of the pastors here at Coast. We're uh, honored to have all of you here. Those of you who are new, I, I met a couple of you. Uh, it is very light today, but there's a reason for that. We've got almost uh, 40 or so women who are out uh, down in La Jolla, California. It's a hard life in La Jolla. And they are enjoying a wonderful, wonderful women's retreat. I got a text from my wife this morning, and she said, she said, Neil, this retreat is truly one of the best ever. Uh, the speaker, Leslie Paget, who came down from Montana, uh, has been outstanding. And by the way, when Leslie was up in Montana trying to get out on a Thursday, she was leaving a day early. She got to the airport in Bozeman, and they had bumped her flight. And they said, and she said, well, what can I do? And they said, nothing. You got to wait until tomorrow and then maybe you can get on. And so she and her husband, they got in their car and they drove three hours to another airport where they secured a ticket and they got up to the ticket counter. And again, her flight got bumped. And she was like in tears, desperate. I have to get down to California. And they found a way. She was the last one on the plane at that second airport, made it down to San Diego, came up to La Jolla and made it just in time. You know, we, we look at those things, the world looks at those things and says, oh, that's just kind of happenstance. We look at those things as Christians differently. We know that the enemy was at work. He was trying to thwart what was happening down here in La Jolla with our women. But he was unsuccessful. And God has done great things at this retreat. We can't wait for the women to come back this afternoon, especially us young dads with all of our children. We especially cannot wait. In fact, I was going to have a contest of all the young girls to see who had the best hairstyle this morning since the dads were the ones doing it. But I decided against it. That, that might be a little scary. Well, hey, um, nevertheless, on Women's Retreat Sunday, we always try to mix it up. We try to change things up, do something a little bit different. And today is no different than that. What we want to do this morning, we've been going through the Gospel of Luke, but we've hit a portion of the Gospel now that is very unique. In chapters 19 and 20, and then if you jump ahead to 22 and 23, Luke writes in very unique ways. He characterizes Jesus's entrance into Jerusalem in his, in his last days. He characterizes the stories in Jerusalem in very unique ways. In fact, in almost every story, Luke indicates that the religious leaders were trying to hurt Jesus. They were trying to trip him up. They were trying to, to uh, trick him. They were trying to destroy him. But many, many times in the Gospel of Luke, it is said that they couldn't do it because of the crowds, because of the people. In fact, no less than six times in the latter chapters of Luke does it say they couldn't thwart him because of the people. They couldn't trick him because of the people. They couldn't destroy him because of the people. Now, ultimately, Jesus was crucified, and the people were a part of that. But something was happening just before Jesus' death, just before his crucifixion, that was a very unique situation where the people were powerful in the face of the powerful religious leaders. The religious leaders could not, they were paralyzed because of the people. We want to ask the question this morning, why was that? Now there are not hard and fast answers to
to this question. Uh, many scholars will debate and, and discuss these questions in different manners. But we as a church, we're filled, those of us who believed in Christ, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We have eyes to see. We have minds to use. We're going to take a look at four of those vignettes in Luke today. We're going to split up into eight different groups, very small groups. And in fact, right now, I'd like my eight facilitators to come on forward. I've chosen uh, eight uh, men uh, who have been gracious to come. In fact, if you could line up uh, one over here all the way to eight over here so I can point you out. Just take a step or two up on the stairs, one through eight, and I'll, I'll introduce these group leaders. And then if I could, I'm going to assign each of you. I'm just going to get a quick count here, 6, 9, 12, 15, 18, 22, 24. I think we got about 50 or so. So with eight groups, we're going to break up into groups of about six or seven, real small groups. Let me introduce our group leaders. We've got Glenn Eichler, one of our elders. We've got Doug Harrison, our worship director. Scott Eichler, uh, head of men's ministry and all-around great guy. Mike Harrison, Mike is a late sub. I had one elder who couldn't make it last minute this morning, and Mike was gracious to step forward. Thank you, Mike. Uh, Ray Varela, we have Lloyd Grimm, one of our elders, David Bacon, one of our elders, and John Varela, all right? So we've got, uh, this is groups one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. You're in order, right? Because, oh, come on now, get in order. Let's go, guys. These guys, they're already, they're already mistaking, uh, causing problems here. Okay, now, are we in order? Okay, good. Here we go. You're going to pull out your handout, uh, introduce yourselves to one another if you don't know each other, most of you do. We're going to read it through one time as a group, we're going to read it through two times silently, and then we're going to answer some discussion questions. All told, we're going to take about just 20 minutes, and then we're going to come back together. So group leaders, take some notes, and uh, Pastor Tom and I are going to kind of walk around and check in on you guys. Let's take a few moments, and let's uh, have a study. Go ahead. All right. All right. Hey, uh, I hope that was uh, simulating interactive for you. We don't again, we don't often do stuff like that here in the regular service, but uh, I, I, we always like to mix it up. And there are some remarkable themes that have been recurring here. And you may not know it because you were just in one group, but every single one of these groups were dealing with texts in which the same theme was recurring again and again. I'm just going to quickly read the verses in which it is said that the people or the crowds were the ones that caused fear in the religious leaders. If you have a Bible, you can be following along. Groups 1 and groups 2, they read from Luke 19, 37 to 48. In verse 39, it, the Pharisees say, you know, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Jesus doesn't do it. But in verse 47, it says, and Jesus was teaching daily in the temple, but the chief priests, the scribes, and the leaders of the people sought to destroy him and were unable to do anything. For all the people were very attentive to hear him. Groups three and four went through uh, the story of Jesus t discussing the baptism of John. And in verse six of chapter 20, Jesus, uh, they, were, they were discussing amongst themselves how to answer Jesus. And they say this, well, if we say that the baptism of John was from me men all the people will stone us, for they are persuaded that John was a prophet. Here again, the religious leaders are petrified of the people. Groups 5 and 6 
considered the parable of uh, the vineyard leased to the vine dressers in Luke 20, verses 19 to 20. Uh, excuse me, verses 9 to 19. And in verse 19, it says this. And the chief priests and the scribes that very hour sought to lay hands on Jesus, but they feared the people. For they knew he had spoken the parable against them. And groups 7 and 8 considered Luke 20, 20 to 26. Uh, the story of, of uh, the text is rendered to Caesar, to Caesar, and to God's what is God's. And in verse 26 it says this. But they, that is the religious leaders, could not catch Jesus in his words, in the presence of the people. And they marveled at his answer. And they kept silent. So real quickly, I'm going to ask each group leader, and then we're going to call Pastor Tom at the end here, real quick, in, in a brief minute, if each group leader could share some of the best nuggets, best kernels of truth that you got, and you can be answering any one of those five questions, but pay particular attention to question five. And if you could share in just a minute or two some of the best insights for your group, we would appreciate it. Group one, is that Glenn? Glenn, give us one to two minutes of the best nuggets of truth that your group ascertained Actually, we answered it, uh, I guess. no you do nice and loud so everybody can hear you come on are you kidding me everyone can hear me anyway <laughs> we actually answered that kind of throughout all five of the questions but the, for number five which was the question you're asking here is the people he brought them up he raised them elevated their position through his teaching and his miracles. Yeah, we noticed that the, the people were the ones where he did the miracles. He didn't go to the uh, Pharisee's house and, and do anything for him. And number two, it brought their, the authorities down, mm. but really only in their own mind. Christ never spoke against them except as to how they administered the temple. And so it really came down to they had their own mindset that they had to be the only authority. They didn't want to share authority or be subservient to the king. That's good. That's good. Thank you, Glenn. Group two, same story. Doug and the, the teenagers here. Doug, what did your group get from uh, this story? Well, the teenagers are very insightful. They said that... They said that the Pharisees posed a threat from the beginning. And the reason that at the very end where it talks about the multitudes, all of them were attentive to hear Jesus is because they were waiting for a savior. They were waiting for someone to heal them and to, to meet them where they were at. And so they were worshiping at his feet and going into the temple and hearing him each and every day. As they were hearing him and they were drawn to him, the Pharisees didn't like that. They saw that as a threat. They probably saw it as nobody wants to hear what we have to say anymore. And so, um, that was the big thing. And then number five, I think, talked about how can one group, it's the same thing today. We have people that are, are um, prideful versus people that are humble. And I think pride got in the way of the, the, the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees, and they made it about themselves instead of about the teachings. They made it about the law. Jesus made it about the gospel. Thank you very much, Doug. Group three, is that Mike in the back? This was the, the study of uh, the baptism of John. Uh, Mike, share with us some of the nuggets of truth that your group received. Well, um, the religious leaders had seen uh, healing and they had um, seen miracles. So obviously they knew there was something about Jesus that 
that they were threatened by. And here he was teaching in the temple, and the um, and so really Jesus was on their turf, was in was in the temple and teaching, and that was threatening to to the religious leaders uh, during that day. Mm. And um, and Jesus was trying to be tricked in these passages, is what our uh, group had had uh, brought up. Um, and so these were some of the things that in the Luke 21 to 8 passage that, uh, that our group had talked about. Very good. Thank you. We're on to group four. Same passage, group four. Who's group four? Scott, there you go. Scott, you're not sitting with your group, Scott. Scott, where is your group? It's in the back. Scott, go ahead, Scott, go. <laughs> Give us some nuggets of truth, my friend. Uh, so, you know, we, we had some good insight because we looked at right before the verse, what has Christ done to kind of bother to start the whole problem? Okay. And he's cleansed the temple, which has inferred that the leaders have a, a great deal of sin because they've commercialized the use of the temple space, mm-hmm. turned it into a place to uh, create taxes. But then he further ruins their day by undercutting them with just 11 words. He basically completely undercuts their argument and accusation in 11 words, which, you know, it, it, uh, it marginalizes their, their logic. He shows that he has healing power, that uh, he undercuts their political power, and it shows that their, their power of influence over the people is, is very light. And uh, well, Cassie had a good point at the end. I was trying to point out that, you know, a lot of people that had once supported Christ six days later are going to try and crucify him. Right. And we we're trying to say why, and Cassie had a great point to, to end it. And she said, well, at the beginning throughout Christ's ministry, he adds a new facet to the law. And that facet is grace. And the people think, hey, he, Christ offers us salvation. And the reason they turn is they think it's salvation in the physical sense, when really it's salvation from death. Hmm. And they don't see it when they realize it's not physical salvation and don't realize what the real salvation is. That's when they turn on. Perhaps, perhaps. That's a very interesting insight. Group five. This was the story in group five of the parable of the vine dressers in Luke 20, 9 to 19. Lloyd, what's your group? So we read about this parable where a certain man planted a vineyard and went off and left it in the care of vine dressers. Um, And those vine dressers represented the religious authorities of the day. Um, And it wasn't a very uh, peachy story. And I think... Jesus was, uh, the, the scribes and the chief priests knew exactly that he was talking about them, and it was a threat to their power. Um, and we, we wrote down a few thoughts why uh, they feared the people is because the, I think the chief priests and the leaders feared man more than God, hmm. and they were a threat to their power. And we kind of tied it to John, um, the Gospel of John, where throughout there's a theme, my time has not yet come, my time has not yet come, my time has not yet come. And finally, as time comes, I think one of the things why they feared the people is because Jesus' time had not yet come yet. Just providential, no doubt. Thank you, Lloyd. That was very good. Appreciate that. Also, group six, same story, parable of the uh, vine dressers. Dave, what did your group learn? Well, we, um, we did the same, sto- the same parable that uh, Lloyd's group did. And an interesting thing that came out was uh, this was a very confrontational uh, uh, pe- story. And it's similar to... Uh, so when uh, Jesus healed on the Sabbath, he knew that this was going to offend the Pharisees. So he, w- he knew that it was going to be kind of a divisive thing. And, turn, and uh, you know, the Pharisees, would, it would, it would uh, offend them. And so, and it was kind of a cumulative effect because he had, he had been kind of been building up to it. All, he had been 
confronting the Pharisees all along. And so, so this was kind of a, one of a more confre- confrontational as it kind of built, built up. And um, the other, uh, on question five, the one you had asked about, the ordinary Jewish crowd seemed to provide a kind of protection for him. Why did some, uh, why were some drawn to him and some despised him? And uh, an insight that came out was Jesus was kind of a divider of people. I mean, they were either for him or against him, and we had to make a decision. Mm-hmm. And uh, there were reasons for that. And one of the main ones was the Pharisees had such a strong financial interest in the status quo. Financial I mean, they interest. did not want to uh, rock the boat and give up all the power, the religious power and the financial power that they had. Their livelihood was at stake. Very good. John, are you group seven? Oh, you're eight. You know what? I'll let you go anyways. This is the same story. So group eight and then to group seven. John, this was the story of uh, in group uh, seven, seven and eight of the story of uh, render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. John. So we also solved uh, world hunger. and. Oh, good. So, I mean, we, you solved it all. You guys got all the answers. Yes. So, now, um, so we had a great discussion, especially about the... Pharisees sending the spies. They sent spies to Jesus yeah. because they were having such a hard time catching Jesus, and Jesus knew who they were, so they decided to send people to mask as righteous people to try and catch Jesus in his words. And, uh, you know, Jesus, of course, knew that right away and uh, took the answer or took, you know, took uh, the issue that they were presenting, which is, hey, Caesar is in control of us, and they were hoping that they were going to get, a, you know, Jesus to talk like a revolutionary and say, oh, don't give to Caesar what is supposed to be Caesar's, but keep it, because, you know, God is really the person that you're supposed to be worshiping, not Caesar. Mm-hmm. But Jesus turned that right around on him and said, no, the, the coin has Caesar's picture on it, give it to Caesar. <laughs> and it just, it blew him away, and the people couldn't do anything about it, because Jesus's words were true and perfect. That's so. good. Thank you. All right. And over here to Ray. Ray, uh, also same study uh, in uh, with respect to the coin of Caesar. Ray, what did your group learn? Yeah, we, we went over the same story, and we, we uh, picked up on it was a trick question. You know, whose side are you going to be on, God's or the government? And yeah. we went over that. And then when it got to the crowds, uh, Renee had a really good point that you know, the crowds all favored Jesus, and, and he was doing things for them. But once everything uh, went to the crucifixion, you know, everything changed in mm-hmm. the last week. Nobody nobody followed Jesus. But the point is, is today, in our get an application from that, uh, why isn't that we as Christianity as a whole can't just get up and support, uh, you know, in, in a big crowd fashion? And it just doesn't seem to happen that way. Mm-hmm. That's nowadays. interesting. So that was a pretty good point Renee brought up. And these guys good. are all very sharp here. That's yeah, good. Thank good you, discussion. Ray. Hey, give a round of applause to our group facilitators. Thank you, group facilitators and leaders. Appreciate that. And uh, you know what? I, I, I don't know the answer. So, but so there's someone who does know the answer. And we're going to call up Pastor Tom for a moment. He's, gonna, he's been listening and walking around the groups and synthesizing this, looking at this. He's specifically going to be uh, tackling some of these questions for us and give us kind of a closing word. Pastor Tom. Thank you. First, uh, I'm just, uh, you know, most, most churches you go to, you're not going to find people who are as familiar with the Word of God as you do here. And um, I know that the Lord is pleased by how uh, attentive uh, this congregation is and how much you care about Scripture and understanding uh, what the Bible says. So I- I'm blown away. I mean, 
the things that, that were said were incredible, noting again and again uh, things like the corruption of the religious leaders, noting that the financial interest they had in maintaining the status quo, noting the way that Jesus uh, might have been expected to start a revolution, and that could have destroyed um, all of Israel if, if, if it had happened. In fact, that's what does happen after Jesus uh, is raised from the dead and, and, and leaves. The Jewish people do find revolutionaries, and they are destroyed. And in some ways, maybe the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders are trying to prevent that from happening. So I just hear all these incredible insights. But the thing that strikes me the most over and over what you were saying was this application. And maybe I could sum it up like this, the voice of the voiceless, right? A man of the people. I have a a friend in Pasadena, and he has a stepdaughter. Um, His first wife passed, and he remarried, and married into a family, and the, the step, uh, his, his stepdaughter uh, is involved in the refugee crisis of the Dar- Dar- Darfuri people. Um, you may have remembered there was a genocide in Darfur, and that's out of the headlines because it happened a long time ago uh, by the standards of our 24-7 news cycle. And yet, what's interesting is right now, and for the past uh, many years, there are about 3 million refugees from Darfur living in camps in Sudan. And nobody hears anything about them, because who cares, right? The world's elites have other issues, other problems that they want to deal with, their interests, and who is looking out for the people of Darfur? Nobody. And so the people of Darfur in these camps, they're constantly waiting and hoping and praying that someone will come and give voice to their plight. They see the world around them, and it is corrupt, it is wrong. They have been uprooted from their homes, they've lost their families, and they are waiting for someone with a loud voice to take their side. And nobody does it. My friend's uh, stepdaughter, her mission is to get their stories out. She's failing. The people of Israel are oppressed. The poor and the outcasts have been ignored. The religious leaders, if they're doing anything with these people, they're making money off of them. And they're looking for somebody to have the voice of God. And then that man comes. He's the one who recognizes it's not about impressing Caesar and the Roman government. It's not about being, uh, who was it who said the fancy robes? Somebody, uh, I heard that. Jesus doesn't come in fancy robes uh, like one of the priests who's up in, in the temple. They find somebody who pays attention to them, who understands that they understand they need to repent. Luke uh, emphasizes this over and over and over again. Jesus will say things like, I did not come To save the found, I'm looking for the lost. And these people know they're lost. They know they're sinners. They know they're not right before God. They know they need salvation. And this is the man who's giving voice to that. This is the man who says, follow me. The people understand how they stand before God. And finally, someone is taking their side. And so the people in charge got to kill him. And one thing that came out in, uh, in John's group 
time and time again was how similar that story is to our story. Now, do you feel, do you feel, do you notice, do you notice the lack of influence that we have as far as the culture is concerned? Do you think that the writers of the New York Times care what you think about anything? Well, they care insofar as they want to change it and they want to silence you. The culture at large has marginalized us People used to think of the United States of America as a Christian nation. Now they think of us as a Beyonce nation. And my question is this. What are we waiting for? Are we waiting for someone to rise up and be our voice? Someone to take our side. It was uh, noted in our group, you know, one of the reasons we don't want to stand up, we don't want to stick our head out is because it might get chopped off. We see it time and time again. Someone stands up for something they believe because of the Bible. And they're crucified in the culture, right? They lose everything. It's taken away. Their families, their reputations, all ruined. Because they had the temerity, they had the boldness, the insolence, to stand up for what they believe. And so are we waiting for some Messiah? Is that what we're doing? I suggest no. That is not what we're doing. Because the Messiah has already come. He has given the light to us. And now it is incumbent on us to spread his message, to be his voice. He was our voice. He was the voice of the voiceless. And now we are the voice of the voiceless. Now, that million-dollar question. The people love him, and six days later, they crucify him. How did that happen? We had some, some possible answers. I think uh, Cassie um, was suggesting maybe they were looking for physical salvation, and Jesus offered spiritual salvation. They said, we don't need that. I don't think that's the case. I think that the people who followed Jesus, they knew that he was there to save them from their sins. So I just want to draw your attention. If you uh, look in the back of your note sheets, uh, we have some, some important texts that follow uh, the text that we looked at today in the Gospel of Luke. And I want you to notice um, this, the, the latter two texts, uh, Luke 23, 13 to 15, and Luke 23, 21 to 27. And I'm just going to highlight uh, two things. At the beginning of 23, 13, it says, Then Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people. So Pilate's going to, there's a trial, we're going to decide what we're going to do with Jesus. And he, and he, and he get, gathers three groups, the chief priests, the rulers, and the people. And then if you, if you drop down uh, to Luke 23, 21 to 27, you have these three groups. But if you look at verse 23, it says, but they, and it's these three groups, um, chief priests, rulers, and people, they were insistent, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified. And the voices of these men and of the chief priests prevailed. And I think what Luke is drawing for us is, is a, a picture where there's, there's almost like two sides, right? There's uh, these people that have been following in, in, in Jesus, and they're there. And then there's also these people who are scared and angry at Jesus, and they want to get rid of him. And because they're louder, because they are insistent, because they rile everyone up, because they're concentrated and focused and organized, and they know the mission, and they're not going to let anyone get in their way because they're that, they win. 
there's a whole bunch of other people who are a little bit like us, who are, we don't, we, we like Jesus, and, and we think that what he's doing is right, but we're a little bit scared, a little bit scared, and we're a little bit disorganized. We haven't gotten together and, and, and focused on what we're going to do. We don't, we, we, we're, how is Jesus being crucified? Well, he's on trial? What? The man who's, but he, he does so much good. And they're a little bit confused, they're disorganized. And then there's this other group that is assailing Jesus, that is uh, uh, going to destroy everything that he is about. And they are focused and organized, and they are attacking. And because they're organized, because they're, atta- they're focused, they get their voices heard. And we don't. And I want to suggest to you that in the broader culture, our mission right now is very, very similar. There are forces at work, and I'm not hesitant to call them demonic that are very, very clear and very organized and very insistent and very loud in their attacks on what we believe. And we're disorganized and confused and we can't believe it because we know that we're people who love. And why would anyone want to destroy that? I think the call of these texts for us today is that we too must be organized. We too must be insistent. We too must stand up for what we believe in love. Yes, we don't get to play by their rules, unfortunately. But we have to advocate for what we believe. And we have to protect and defend those who stand up and advocate for what we believe. And we must not let the enemy crucify anymore. Let's pray. Actually, Neil, can you, would you come up and, and, and close us in prayer? Thanks, Bob. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we've been looking at your word and resonating with the people, the ordinary Jewish crowd in these texts. We would like to think, Lord, that we would have been with you. We would like to think that if we were living in that day and age, we would have been right there with the people, the ordinary ones, who were listening at the feet of Jesus. And then later who were completely awestruck and befuddled as to why he would be crucified and assailed in the way that he was. But Lord, uh, we are under no delusion that we're not the only ones in this equation. Though we are trying, Lord, to follow Jesus and to obey him and to carry out his message and his principles, we know, Lord, that there are demonic forces at work behind the scenes with financial ties at stake that are power hungry and want to hold on to their strongholds. And Father, we are looking, we are looking for ways in which your message, Lord, can penetrate through that. In which your message can go back to all and sundry that all might hear it and that it might not be thwarted or tripped up or destroyed. The enemy won 
2,000 years ago when he put you, Lord Jesus, on the cross. But that is not the final word. Help us as your people now, as people of the resurrected Jesus Christ, help us as your people to be bold, to be courageous, to be organized and mobilized to stand for the truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.